We've been spending a few weeks in 1 Peter, kind of a little mini-series through 1 Peter, trying to find some perspective after Easter, in these weeks after Easter leading up to, to Pentecost. We're trying to see some perspective from Peter. When we read Peter's letter, his first letter here, it's important we don't forget who this man was. This is Peter the Apostle. This is Peter the Fisherman. This is also Peter who, of whom we read story after story of his failure, don't we? We read the story of that night before Jesus was crucified when Peter denied Him three times. I can't help but think of some of those stories. You know, Luke gives us his details of that night. And as Luke tells that story, he says that the Romans had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, and Peter sat down with them. And that night in front of that fire, Peter failed Jesus three times. He denied he knew him, denied he knew him again, denied he had ever even heard his name. I think about that fire. That fire was supposed to be a place of warmth, a place of comfort. That fire was supposed to be a place of conversation. I think about that fire because that fire had to seem so innocent in that moment, and yet it was at that fire that night that Peter was tested. And then I think of what he writes here in chapter 4, verse 12. We're going to look at verse 12 several times today. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Now those words, that fire sounds like a burning blaze. It sounds like the furnace that tests metals that burns away the impurities. But you know, by Peter's own example... The real tests for you and me can be in those most innocent moments. Just sitting around the fire and in conversation. By his own example, the real test can be in those innocent moments. And I realize it's not the size of the fire. It's about what it reveals in you and me. Are we capable of coming through the challenges, coming through the fire, and finding deeper faith and a greater hope as we begin this journey through 1 Peter, we heard his reflections on the Easter story there in chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because Christ lives, your hope is alive. This is true. But we cannot deny the reality that pain still happens. We still suffer losses. We still have struggles with our health and struggles with our finances, sometimes just struggles with our hearts. And for some, we have moved from pain to pain to pain, from struggle to struggle to struggle. How do we hold on to faith, hold on to that hope when life just seems to continually be falling apart around us? Back in chapter 1, Peter wrote of the possibility of pain. He wrote there in verse 6, "...in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials." It sounds like it's a possibility there in chapter 1. If necessary, you might have been grieved by various trials. But by chapter 4, That becomes a very present reality. Again, verse 12, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test 
you. Difficulties will come. Sickness comes. Loss comes. We have inner turmoil, depression, anxiety, panic. In those times, we can either deny the reality of our pain, say it doesn't hurt, or we can trust God to see us through the pain and see where He takes us on the other side. And I find here in Peter's words three calls to action. Three prescriptions for our pain. These call to actions will get us through anything this life throws at us. And the very first call He has for us, He calls us to recognize that pain is a part of life. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial. What is a fiery trial? Is it a testing of your faith? Is a fiery trial a time of persecution where someone persecutes you because of your faith in Jesus? Is it a, a physical problem that hits? Is it a fiery trial when they forget your straw in your McDonald's order? And you don't realize it until you get down the road and you're not going back. Is that a fiery trial? I think the emphasis is less on what it is and more on what it does. A fiery trial hurts. It burns. No one gets a pass on pain. No one is insulated from hurt just because they're a Christian. That's something that few of us want to talk about. And some people are in denial of. They believe that the Christian life's all about healing and all about blessing all the time and nothing bad ever happens. That's not the promise here. In fact, you won't find that promise in the Bible. Again, verse 12, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Do you hear it? Don't be surprised. As if something strange, something unexpected. This is the normal Christian life and it's going to include difficulties and trials. It's not going to be easy. We've been told that in other places. John tells us that in 1 John chapter 3, verse Verse 13, he uses almost the same words. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if this world hates you. Jesus said almost the same thing in John chapter 16, verse 33. Then this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's part of the package. And there's a couple reasons why this is important. One of them is the assurance that it gives you. The troubles that you're going through, they are not punishment. This is life. I can't tell you how many times I've sat in a hospital room with someone who's going through a difficult diagnosis and they've asked the question, what, why is this happening to me? What did I do wrong? Did I make God mad? Am I being punished for something? What's the problem? One thing you can know for sure, Peter tells us, this is not punishment. This is not God getting back at you for your sin. This is life. We recognize that fiery trials, whatever form they come in, they are part of the package of life. And at that point, we're left with a choice. What are we going to do with them? Do we run from them and find out that, well, you can't? Or do we embrace God? Do we embrace God? Do we hold on tight and see where He leads us? Do we recognize that He is going to use these to bless us, to teach us, to encourage us, to grow us? And that's where Peter takes us here. First, we recognize this is part of life, and then we rejoice. We don't rejoice because of the pain, but we rejoice at what God is doing in us. 
Peter goes on and says, rather than being surprised at these difficulties, verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings so that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. It's not rejoicing because of the difficulties. It's rejoicing because God is present because those trials, those difficulties are not the end of our story. God is doing something greater in us. That's not saying they don't hurt. That's not saying they aren't stressful, that they aren't painful, confusing, or even lonely. But by keeping our eyes on Jesus, we see that He's never abandoned us, even in our pain. Last Saturday, a week ago yesterday, I attended commencement, graduation, at Lincoln Christian University. I just attended. If all goes well... A year from now, I get a walk and it'll be done. <laughs> All done. I attended because I had several friends who were graduating and I wanted to encourage them, but the main reason I really wanted to be there was to hear the commencement address. I have never said that before. I've never wanted to hear a commencement address. But the commencement address was given by Dr. John Castelline. Dr. Castelline was one of my professors in undergrad. He taught us theology high ideas and you know big deep concepts john has this way he is brilliant he has this way of explaining things explaining the most difficult concepts in a way that you get it you understand it you see all the sides of it i have to tell you i got a's in theology class i got c's in preaching let that sink in i got a's in theology class and on more than one occasion, I have said to people, you know, some days I, there are some days I struggle with my doubts. There's some days I have doubts. But the fact that someone like John Castelline believes, despite as much as he knows, as brilliant as he is, the fact that John Castelline believes in Jesus, some days that's all I need to, to, to push my doubts aside and continue forward. The only problem is, John Castelline didn't always believe. And a few years ago, he walked away from his faith. It was 2020. You guys remember 2020? That year ring a bell? Yeah, 2020. It was about two weeks before the lockdown, before the pandemic. I had a visitor come. A friend came to visit me and have lunch with me from Lincoln. We were up at, up at, the, uh, up at Redmond at the pit stop having lunch. And as we're talking, he said, have you heard about John Castelli? And I said, no, I haven't heard anything out of John in a long time. He said he's, left his, he, he's, he's lost his faith. He went to have lunch with some friends, uh, colleagues, people that he had taught with. They were all sitting down and John said, I have to tell you, I no longer believe in Jesus. I no longer believe in the resurrection. I don't believe those things and I don't want to talk about it. And he got up and he walked off and he walked away from his church. He walked away from his faith. He walked away from his friends. He walked away from Jesus. And as John told the story last Saturday, sometime around then, his wife Marie, his dear sweet wife Marie, came down with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, horrible, horrible disease. And that began a 22-month-long journey that would end with her death. John and Marie never had any kids, and John became 
Marie's primary caregiver. He fed her through a tube in her stomach. He vacuumed, he suctioned out the saliva so she wouldn't aspirate and choke. He washed his wife. He bathed his wife. And as he told the story last Saturday, it was while he was bathing his wife one day, he was washing her feet, and the image hit him. This is something Jesus did. As he was washing his wife's feet, the image came to him of Jesus bending down, of the Creator of the universe bending down and washing the feet, the dirty, grimy feet of fishermen like Peter. And in that moment, John said to himself, who makes up a story like that? No one would make something like that up. And he slowly began that process of coming back to his faith. I want you to hear Peter one more time. Verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Some of you are carrying some huge hurts. You have lost those who are nearest and dearest to you. You have wept over those losses. The Bible tells us that Jesus wept over His losses. You've given your strength to loving people to the end. John is very careful to point out that Jesus loved His disciples to the end. You have carried burdens for people who couldn't carry those burdens themselves. Jesus has carried your burden that you couldn't carry yourself. Could it be in those most difficult moments, even maybe moments when you had to wash someone's feet, could it be in those moments that you met Jesus? You encountered Him in a way that you, you never imagined before. In that horrible, fiery trial, John Castellin's faith returned. He found Jesus again, and I can tell you he loves Jesus today more than I've ever seen him be in love with Jesus before. In whatever struggle you're, you might face, whatever the struggle you, you face might be, Consider that it's an opportunity. Consider that it's an opportunity for you to recommit yourself to your Creator. Three calls that Peter has for us here for those fiery trials. First of all, recognize this is a part of life. Secondly, rejoice at what God is doing through that time of trial. And finally, recommit ourselves to our Creator. Each of those is essential. But this last one, recommit ourselves to our Creator. Please hear me without recommitting our suffering, the suffering we endure, those fiery trials, they are pointless. Verses 14 and 15, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God is resting upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or even as a meddler. Peter's reminding us that, that we have our trials. We'll have trials because of our faith. And the promise is, in those trials, whatever they might be, God is close. During those trials that you're going through, those difficulties, His Spirit is resting on you. But the warning is, don't go looking for trouble. 
Don't go looking for it. Don't suffer as a thief would suffer, someone who's gone looking for trouble, or a, or a murderer, or an evildoer, or even as a meddler. It's kind of funny. That word meddler there in, in that verse. It's an odd word. kind of wonder if Peter made it up. Because it doesn't appear anywhere else. You can't find that word anywhere, that word for meddler. Some of your Bibles, the old King James and a few other Bibles, it translates it as busybodies. Busybodies. So I'd like to talk about my mom again. <laughs> oh, this could get me in trouble. <laughs> I think Peter is having fun with his audience when he talks about busybodies. You know, mom... Mom had this thing that she would do. If she wanted information on someone, you know, she needed to know something, she would call me up and we'd talk for a little bit. And then she would say those words. You've heard them before. Not to be nosy, but. And mom would have a question. Who is that? Who is that person? Who is that person in church Sunday? What, what was that about? That prayer request. What was that about? And mom just, she just wanted to know the information. And I would not give it to her. <laughs> I love to watch her suffer with that. <laughs> She'd get all worked up and worried about it. I think Peter's having fun with us, with his audience. I think he's having fun with all of us. And he's saying, sometimes you got to admit it. Sometimes you cause your own suffering. Don't do that. And when you have those moments when you've caused your own suffering, when you've stepped out and, and you've just gone out looking for trouble, don't try to, don't pretend there's something holy in that. Don't pretend you're going to find Jesus or get any closer to Him through that. Instead, verses 16 through 18, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Boy, hear that carefully. For everybody out there that wants judgment to begin with this world and all the wrong things that all the people of this world do, that's not where judgment begins. It begins with us. Why aren't we being the salt? Why aren't we being the light? Why aren't we shining Christ in the dark places? That's a warning for all of us. It is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinners? We hear the word judgment and we immediately think negative. We think guilty, punished, sentenced to, to death. But judgment is also a matter of purity, not just guilt to go back to that idea of the fiery trial the image that peter is building on is that of the refiner's fire you've seen pictures you've seen videos some of you have actually done it you've refined metals they take gold or precious metal it's heated to liquefied till it's liquefied liquefied the impurities are revealed and then the impurities are burned off and what you have left has been tested it has been judged to be pure and at that point you know its real worth and at that point it is of far more value than it was before it went through the fire therefore peter says in verse 19 therefore let those who suffer according to god's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good i think it's very significant that peter refers to god as creator here as faithful creator 
He's your Creator. He made you. He formed you. He knows you. He knew you before you were formed. The trials that surprise us, the difficulties we go through that surprise us, they don't surprise Him. He knew your pain before you did. He knows tomorrow's pain before you ever will. I prayed with cancer patients after receiving difficult diagnoses and sometimes I found myself praying, Lord, this diagnosis took us by surprise. Nothing surprises you. you. Nothing surprises you. We're going to trust you. We're going to trust you to, to see us through this. The fact that He is your faithful Creator means that your pain is not your identity. Your pain is not the end of your story. Trust Him. Trust Him through the good times. Trust Him through the hard times. And when the difficult times come, dive into the arms of your Creator. It's not just about trusting God in those difficult times though. Look at verse 19 one more time. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. While you are doing good. I think we all need to hear this. It is so easy in those times of trial, in those times of difficulty, it's so easy just to take a break to step back, to check out, to be so occupied by our pain that we stop serving other people. We stop washing other people's feet. And when we do that, our pain becomes ingrown and our sufferings smother us and we lose any sense of purpose for what we're going through. It was while John Castellin washed his wife's feet that he found Jesus going through that dark place where he loved her to the end. He found the one who loved him to the end. The light of Christ broke through. What happens if we keep serving? What happens if you keep serving through your pain? Or what happens even if you let your grief be your guide? Let your grief inform you of how to love someone else, how to care for someone through their grief. Pain will come. It is inevitable. What you do with it is your choice. Let it drive you into the arms of your Creator. We'll come to the table in a moment and we'll be reminded that that greatest pain that, that Jesus ever felt, He took on so that we could know Him. Could it be that that fiery trial that we find ourselves going through is an opportunity to know Him better, to entrust ourselves to our faithful Creator while doing good. I'm going to pray. We'll sing together. And we'll take. Let's pray. Father, I know my friends, they know You. I know my friends here have known Your love. I know they know Your faithfulness. And yet I've been with many of them in those difficult places. And I know they've known pain. I know they've known loss. We have cried together. I know they have, they have known those fiery trials. Father, in the middle of all of that, You have revealed Yourself in some amazing ways. They have come to know Your love in new ways, deeper ways. Lord, none of us knows what's ahead. But I pray Your strength. I pray Your blessing. I pray the strength to hold on tight and to know that You're holding on to us so much tighter. We thank You for this bread that reminds us that, that Christ's body was broken for us and we might be broken also. 
Thank You for the cup that reminds us of the blood that was shed for us, a blood that not only cleanses us, but the blood that makes us one, the blood that makes us family, the one that enables us, the blood that enables us to share our pain and share our love for You and see Your hand at work in each one of us. Bless this time together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.